Up in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories Today is Friday, August 11th And I hope you are having a wonderful and very freaky Friday. The freakiest of all, perhaps. So freaky because we're getting ready this weekend. We're leaving because next week is the last leg of our tour. We're like Taylor Swift in in our tour for the summer here. We'll go. Mm -hmm. We're going on tour again in 2024. But your last chance to see us live is going to be next week in Detroit, Columbus and Pittsburgh. So we're going to be coming through uh, and performing full moon energy for you. And it's the last time we're going to do full moon energy for a few months. I'm almost I'm getting kind of nostalgic already. And it hadn't even happened. Yeah. I also want to say that we are just like Taylor Swift. I mean, <laughs> sure. <That's> certainly. <laughs> This is yeah. just like the Eras tour. So concert cha- costume changes. Oh, my we dive gosh. into the stage, down into the stage at one point, and swim all the way across the yeah. venue. It's amazing. It's been challenging for each venue to figure <laughs> out how to let us do that, but so far, it's worked. If you put it in your rider, they have to. They That's have to. The law. That it's is not the, the law. law. Turns no. out it's not the law. <laughs> it's not the law at all. In fact, <laughs> most of the times they're just ripped up and thrown in the trash. <laughs> But- it's great. We're improvisers. We love to improvise. <laughs> so who knows what kind of a fun show you'll see. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. I've never been to Pittsburgh, which is where we're ending the tour for this year. So we Exciting. spoke with someone, a journalist from there today that gave us lots of fun recommendations and restaurants. Mm-hmm. A lot of museums up there. So much good stuff. I'm excited to go back to Detroit and Columbus, mm-hmm. who we visited before, because it's always like, oh, man, if I go back, I want to get this. So I have that in mind. But Pittsburgh, home of Mr. Rogers, home of Night of the Living Dead. There's going to be so much for us. The Andy Warhol Museum. I'm stoked. And not only that, we're bringing the full moon energy with us at all three stops. So go to SinisterHood.com slash live shows, and you can get a little taste of it before 2024, before we lock it away and hold it in until 2024. <laughs> what a trifecta mr rogers george romero and andy warhol man yeah what a crew the holy Fuck trinity right there <laughs> oh oh man okay well oh, no. i'm marrying mr rogers that's all i know and then Certainly. i think i'm gonna oof that's a hard one how about this you're gonna marry mr rogers everything else no thank you <laughs> Okay. No, I'm good. Nah. Although, kind of interested to see what Andy Warhol would be into. That's but true. I don't it's just think a single I'd miss F. cup of tea. So no, possibly not. Yeah, I would not. Know? But we're gonna see it all when we go to Pittsburgh, and you can see us in all those places. And we we have some FMKs on stage. You know, we do. Oh yes, they always. And if we don't, then they come up during the Q and A every time. So every single time, stay around for that. <laughs> if they're, I think VIP is sold out in all three cities so yeah uh, yeah so you can check and see or sometimes people in comments will say you know maybe i have an extra ticket you want to go with mm-hmm. me and be my buddy but yeah if the vip sold out then the regular tickets may not be far behind so go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows and get yours today very excited it's going to be a good way to round out 
2023 and uh, finish up our moon show. Our, the old moon tour. The old well, moon tour. Well, something we're going to tour through today is the stories that you have curated through all of our listener submissions. So thank you to everybody who sends in your Freaky Friday stories. We have uh, a number of stories to get through today. Yeah. And some compelling, incredible stories. Lately, all of these submissions we've been getting are just what you said. Com- like, riveting. There's yes. There was one particular one today where I was yelling several times throughout y'all will figure out which one it is but (laughs) everyone that submits stories i'm always just blown away one by how good of a writer everybody is everyone writes so so well also how many similarities there are between these stories and how much it just reminds me that we are not that different, all of us, on this rock spinning through space. It's true. It's uh, We always say it's one of our the best parts of this is the connections we can make between people on other sides of the world that would maybe never even hear somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. It inspires you, reminds you of something that happened to you. So we can't inspire other people without your story. So thanks to everybody who sent these in. And thanks to everybody who sent stories in before that. You're all keeping keeping it going. You're all keeping it going. Well, without further ado, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Anonymous, and the subject line is Missing Person. Hi, ladies. This story is very fresh and is weighing heavy on my mind. I was compelled to send it in, partly because I feel like it needs to be shared and partly to help get some of this off my chest. So where do I begin? About six years ago, while bartending, I met a group of guys that were a few years younger than me, but went to my high school. We clicked and became good friends. We'd poke fun at each other and even had long-running jokes and such. They would come in weekly, their night out together, and just hang out with me and the other bartender. We'd share stories of not-so-good things, some great things, and just general day-to-day life. There were about six guys. Some came frequently, some a little less, but we all had our friendship in some way. On a recent Sunday, I found out that John who had moved to New York City from the suburbs of Chicago a bit back, hadn't been seen since he left a concert late Friday night, early Saturday morning, around 2.30 a.m. So, of course, they had to wait to file a police report because he hadn't been missing, quote, long enough, which, of course, immediately bothered me. And the more information I had gotten from friends worried me even more. But I tried to stay optimistic. I tried to, quote, just wait and see. But for me, the idea of even knowing someone was considered a missing person, let alone someone I called a friend, blew my mind. I mean, I hear about it every day, but it just didn't seem real. Well, unfortunately, today, Tuesday, August 1st, they found his body floating in the river. He was 27 years old. Now, where the true crime aspect comes in is that he left a music club and then was found a few days later in the river. But a few weeks prior, another guy, same age, had done the same thing, found in the same area, literally the same area of the river, and left the same club before he was found five days later. That case is currently under investigation, according to a few news articles I've read. The father of the first guy believes there's a connection and that there's something going on. I don't necessarily disagree. Though they weren't back-to-back, there are some very odd coincidences that seem too similar to just be happenstance. 
but unfortunately, only time will tell. In the meantime, I hope that whatever truly happened comes to light and all the friends and family involved have closure of the loss of their friend, son, and brother. Two men lost their lives too soon. Maybe it's my interest in true crime. Maybe it's my desire to have a reason that this happened to my friend, an intelligent, loving guy who graduated from DePaul and loved every bit of life, to move to the big city and bust his ass to get such a great job. But something doesn't seem right here. Thank you both for reading this, even if it doesn't get read on the podcast. I hope it reminds you both how easily a true crime fan can come face to face with the things they only hear about on their favorite podcast. Hold your friends and family close, because you never know when will be the last time you see them. Never did I think I could scroll through Google articles and see my friend's face smiling back at me. I just wish it was for a better reason. R.I.P. John, you'll be missed. Wow, well, this is, it's in the news. We've been hearing about this. Yeah, this has been in the news, and uh, a link was sent by the submitter, Their friend's name was John Kastik. He was a senior analyst at Goldman Sachs. He, by all accounts from everything I've read, was just so beloved by family, friends. His dad said he was charismatic, a friend to all, just loved life. I haven't seen anything that has said there is any nefarious ties to this. It's from what I read today, his father has come out and said that the cause of death was accidental drowning. Mm-hmm. He also said that before John left the concert, he had told his friends he wasn't feeling well. And hmm. and then he walked home. And there is a, a CCTV image from a camera of him walking. And he, you know, doesn't look beyond impaired or anything. He just looks like he's walking on the street. There was also some speculation that um, perhaps he had had s- something with peanuts in it. His dad said he has a peanut allergy and they were worried maybe he had something unknowingly and that's why he didn't yeah. feel well and then left the concert. But I believe um, toxicology and autopsy reports are pending as of now. But that's so, so sad when someone so young that has so much going for them it's just a tragic accident is what it it sounds like. If something else comes out, we'll be sure to update everyone. As far as the other man that lost his life way too soon, I am i don't know much about that one. Yeah, and anytime there's similar cases, this was in Austin, some similar things were happening and in Chicago, and this was in New York, where there's areas and you see you know men that have left a venue drowning in uh, bodies of water, whether it's a lake or river, and... In this case, it sounds like his dad has some idea, but like you said, toxicology will take a couple more days. But it, it's always like on the one hand, you want to make sure everybody's safe. But on the other hand, it's always terrible to jump to conclusions and have everybody because you do see on TikTok like there's a serial killer loose in Austin. Just all of us, you know, mm-hmm. making that declaration. I've seen the versus, same in Chicago as well. Yeah. Yeah. Versus in this case, just saying, we want to know what happened. We want to know and get to the bottom of it. And, you know, is this a dangerous area where people are falling in? And, you know, is it Mm -hmm. something that needs to be addressed at the city level? Or is there a a bad actor, you know, dosing people's drinks and following them until they go, whatever? Mm -hmm. That's absolutely for the police to find out. But what the big part right now is just some closure or at least some answers for his family and the ability to get, get together and grieve him, grieve a person that meant sounds like so much to so many 
many people. Mm -hmm. And his dad said in one article, you know, what they're focusing on right now is just remembering how even in just 27 years of life, what an impact he had on everyone Mm -hmm. around him. So I think that's the best we can do when we're, we're grieving such an unimaginable loss. And I too hope that they find out exactly what happened. If not for anything else, just closure for the family and friends. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Yana, and it is called Lee's Famous Chicken Recipe Murders, Sliding Doors Moment That Saved My Life. I enjoy your show so much. Three years ago, my husband and I moved away to California for work. I was missing Oklahoma, my friends, and our daughter, who stayed to finish her undergrad degree. And that's when I learned about your show. It was during the pandemic. I was homesick and I was very stressed. As soon as I listened to the first episode, I knew I'd found my favorite podcast. I appreciate your comedy, stories, opinions as forward-thinking Southwest ladies. And I like your accents because to me, they're homey. So let's get into it. This is a sliding doors moment for me that literally saved my life. When I was in high school... I was technically unhoused. I lived in a rundown motel while I went to school all day, worked fast food all night, and played bassoon in the Tulsa Youth Symphony on weekends. I knew that instrument was my way to college, and I played as often as I could. I went to Oklahoma Summer Arts, played in the all-state band or orchestra, and played in the local high school band. This is all important to the story. During my senior year of high school, I worked at Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken in Tulsa for a while. I haven't eaten at a Lee's in forever, so I can't comment on the quality now. But back then, the chicken was really good. So was the strawberry cheesecake. The Tulsa location I worked at had a not very nice young man as one of the assistant managers. I also had a general manager who was a chemistry major in college, had inherited the job from his paranoid and jealous wife's parents, She thought I was trying to steal her man because I asked him what college was like and didn't seem to know or care about people management. As a result, the assistant manager got to do just about whatever he wanted to do to the rest of the staff. There was lots of foul language, major hostility, and weirdly controlling behavior. For whatever reason, I really rubbed that assistant manager the wrong way. At the time, I was young and couldn't understand what I'd done wrong as I was always trying to do the right thing by others, and still do. Now, I think I was just an overweight, mixed minority Asian female living in the worst neighborhoods while trying to further my education. And he may have hated me for it. Like, I was too uppity for my status or something? Like, why should I be allowed to improve my situation? Anyway, I had one last high school band concert I was required to play in before graduation. I asked for that night off. I was denied. Not only was I denied, I was told that I had to skip my concert and work instead to prove my loyalty or something. It didn't make any sense. Um, no, I was not going to let some angry, insecure man sabotage my graduation, my music scholarship, and my future for one shift working under him so he could go on a power trip and put me in the place where he thought I belonged or punish me for existing. So I quit. The night of the concert, I did what I needed to do. I went home and I slept. I had the strangest dream 
and I will always remember that dream because of what came next. I dreamt that I was running through a parking garage in the dark, and I was terrified. But suddenly, it wasn't a parking garage. I was running out the front door of Lee's, right past the potted plant that was there. It was dark outside, and when I saw my reflection in the glass, someone grabbed me to stop me. The reflection wasn't mine. It was a former co-worker from Lee's, a mother of four. She was a nice lady, and I always liked working with her, but couldn't understand why I was dreaming of her. The dream was lucid, and I knew I was dreaming. It was the next morning, and the clock radio woke me up from the dream. The DJ on the radio was reporting on the story of the quadruple homicide at Lee's famous recipe chicken the night before. I was frozen. I think I might have actually been in shock. I had never had that feeling before, and I have never had that exact feeling again. I felt cold, stunned, surprised, floaty, like maybe I was still dreaming, and overall just felt surreal. That was the shift the assistant manager had decided I had to work to satisfy him. That was the shift I had quit my job over. I remembered the dream I was having when the radio woke me up and I had to sit my ass down. Later, when the investigation was over, the story came together. Four people, including the assistant manager, two of my former co-workers, including the mother of four, and my replacement, who had been on the job for mere days, were forced into a walk-in freezer and shot in the back of the head, execution style. The perpetrator and mastermind of the crime was a former employee himself. He had talked a few of his friends into a robbery. Somehow the robbery turned into a literal mass murder. I have always had such empathy for all four of those people. They must have been so scared. They must have been so confused. Eventually, the mastermind was executed by the state, and the rest of his crew have served their time and have since been released. It's been 30 years since the incident. I don't think the rest of the crew had any designs on murder, but I often wonder if the mastermind did. I wonder if he was pushed too far by certain personalities and snapped during the robbery. I'll never know, but I wonder. Every time I hear you say sliding doors moment on the show, I think of this story and how it was the sliding doors moment that saved my life. I don't have survivor's guilt over what happened, but I do think about how that young man who replaced me had only been on the job a few days and of the mother of four, and I feel lucky that my young self had enough self-respect and worldliness to know that one fast food shift was not worth her future. Honestly, I was just worried about my music scholarship when I quit. I didn't know I needed to be worried about my life. Here's a link to an old newspaper report. Wow. If this isn't the definition of a sliding doors moment, I don't know what is. This literally, that decision saved your life. There's no question about it. Right. And knowing I'm going to quit, it's the right thing to quit and doing it. And it just happened to be that your concert happened to be on that night. And that happened to be the night of the robbery that gives you, I, I hear why you would feel surprised, stunned, cold, floating. I mean, something completely unimaginable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You would just never assume that. You know, it's just another shift. I'm going to miss it, whatever. And then to wake up to that news. Life-altering jaw, yeah, it's beyond, uh, I, I can't even wrap my head around something like that. I'm, Yana, very proud of you for saying, nah, 
fuck off. I'm not going to come in when I don't need to be here and like wreck my whole future over one thing like this. And I think that especially when you're, you know, 18 in college, it's so easy to be a yes person and be taken advantage of like that. And, you know, your manager who I've had managers exactly like this. Oh, yeah. You're like, you're just trying to prove something to somebody. And I don't even think it's me. I think it's yeah. yourself. And I just happen to be here. But whatever you're going through, you're going to deal with that on your own because I'm not going to let you dictate how my life's going to go. So for that, kudos to standing up for yourself. And clearly, you made the right call for more than one reason. Right. Definitely. Like you said, you're never going to change that person and fighting with them and trying to. So just saying, I'm going to protect my future and this is for me and quitting. There's nothing wrong with that. But you you do say, oh, man, I really hate my boss. But absolutely, you would never want or expect something like this to happen. But that makes it, uh, Yana makes a good point that if the perpetrator was a former employee and maybe had some past relationship mm-hmm. with that manager interaction or whatever that yeah, who knows what he was fueled by to do that to turn even to rob your former business but to turn that what should be just kind of an in and out simple robbery into a mass murder yeah. or something completely different going on inside that perpetrator's uh, head for sure yeah and it sounds like something was going on in the dream world that I mean, right. to out of nowhere have this dream about the mother of four and also being at the location. We talked recently about this on a, I think it was a recent Freaky Friday about having, you know, something had, oh, it was the Freaky Friday where the mom had the dream that her daughter's plane had crashed. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think in that a big emotional moment that sh- I also was reading when I was at Crater Lake about a plane crash that had happened over Crater Lake. And it was a private pilot with two uh, trainees in the plane with them. And his wife told the story of how she knew he was flying and she woke up to the feel of the feeling of a man gripping her leg in the night. And it woke, like she said, she felt like a, a thick, meaty, like strong hand, like grab her leg and wake her up. And when she woke up, she called, I don't know if she called 911 or she called the air traffic control, the tower and said like, hey, where's my husband? And they said, Oh my gosh, we just lost contact with this um, aircraft 10 minutes ago and wow. we're, we're trying to get him back online on aircraft. How did you know we lost contact with him? And she's like, I didn't. I just was, I knew to call. And then she said later on, of course, she had heard that the plane had crashed and he passed away. And she's like, I knew that whatever that grab was, was like whatever moment that it maybe, and maybe he had a heart attack mm-hmm. in the air or whatever, but they found the wreckage later on. But I think there is something to be said about the energy of that moment of mm-hmm. a loss of life or a, a just a, even a close encounter with a loss of life that there's some sort of burst of energy that... People, I don't know if your antenna's up, you're sleeping, you happen to hear it. Well, Yana, I'm so glad that you are still around to send that story in to us. Thank you. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Well, this next one's from M, and this is called True Crime Brain Goes Out the Window When You're a Chronic People Pleaser. Hi, ladies and sinister babies, human, animal, and doll. I think McGruff's a doll in this situation, which I guess he is. He's a puppet, yeah, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> M writes, been a long-time listener, hooked from the time of the in and out story. Sorry, Christy. I laughed so hard I cried, and my husband was very concerned about me. 
This is a story of how I did something dumb and reckless and I could have been killed. Thankfully, I wasn't. Spoiler alert. But looking back on it, I realized how much danger I had willingly put myself into. All for WWJD. What would Jesus do? I was living in an area that had a beautiful lakefront park. It was March at the time, probably about 2020 or 2021. And while it was hot, it wasn't as hot as it gets here in Florida. So I decided I would walk around the side of the lake every few days to get some exercise in as part of my New Year's resolutions. I actually managed to take some amazing photos there while I walked and listened to my podcast. That's not part of the story. I did attach them, though, below for you to see. So my story starts on the way to the lakefront for my every other day walk. I was pulling up to a stop sign, listening to my podcast, when I see this guy on the sidewalk right next to the stop sign. He tried to signal for help to the person in front of me, but they gunned it. I should have done the same thing. But being me, a goody two-shoes stickler for the laws, I stopped at the stop sign. He walked towards the front of my car to stop me from going, and I saw it's an older man maybe in his late 30s, early 40s, in a white tank and a pair of jeans. He wasn't dirty, just sweaty, which again, Florida. I didn't think he was unhoused. I couldn't run this guy over, so I waited for him to come over to the passenger side door, and I cracked my window. Cracked because at this point, some part of my brain was actually working. I said, um, hi, do you need help? He said, yes, I went into town and grabbed a beer and fell asleep, I can't remember where I left my car and my phone and wallet were inside. I said, um, okay, I'll see if I can find it. What does it look like? He said it was a black car. I think a Volkswagen, but it's been so long now I don't remember. Might have been a Nissan. Anyway, I told him I'd drive around to see if I could find it. No harm, no foul, right? So I did. I drove around the area where he thought he left it, but didn't see it. You'd think with all the true crime I listened to, I would have just left it there. But nope, being the people pleaser that I am, I went back to tell him I couldn't find it. Can I help? I really need to get home. I have a wife and kids, even a daughter. I promise I'm not a creep, he said. Sounds like something a creep would say, I thought. And just like the title says, my true crime brain went out the window as little Catholic schoolgirl me thought, what would Jesus do? And ladies, I let him in my car. He didn't have a gun that I could see and no knife in his hand or clip to his pocket that I could tell. My husband carries one so I know what to look for. We drove around the area he thought he'd parked and couldn't find it. So he asked if I could drive him home instead. He'd get his wife to help him look for it. He kept saying, she's going to kill me for losing it. She works real hard and I do stuff like this. We headed in the direction of home which, much to my chagrin, was in the same direction that I lived. I pretended to be familiar with the area, but not overly so in order to prevent him from figuring out that I lived there. We really weren't that far, since the lakefront and the stop sign where I picked him up was only about three minutes from my house. As we drove, he suddenly goes, There it is! We passed by it quickly, but I was able to pull into a driveway, turn around, and go back. There it was, his little black Nissan or VW. I'm pretty sure it was a Nissan now. He took out his keys and unlocked the door, and there was his phone and his keys. He thanked me and offered to pay me gas money, but I refused. I just wanted to get as far away from him as I could. However, my do-gooder brain had me wait to make sure his car started to drive away. 
Wrong move. His car wouldn't start because he was out of gas. I couldn't believe it. He came back over to the passenger side and said, I'm out of gas and I don't have a gas container. You know, the red canister with the nozzle on it. Do you have one? I shook my head. He said, could you still take me home? It's not far from here. I'll get my wife to help. And I let him in again. Y'all, at this point, I'm sweating like a sinner in church. I'm in so deep, it's like a splinter in my foot. And all I can think of is, this is how I die. This is it. My stupid, goody-two-shoes, people-pleasing, WWJD being pressed into my brain since childhood self was going to be the death of me. I couldn't stop this train of thought as we drove the few minutes down the road to where he claimed his house was. I had the windows open so I could yell for help and the doors were unlocked so I could jump at any time. He kept asking me questions about myself like my name, which I stupidly gave, but only my first name, and how old I was. Stupidly did that too. He said his daughter was 14 and a typical teenager. He'd invited her and his son to go into town, but lamented they just wanted to stay inside and use technology. It's such a nice day out, and they just want to stay inside, he said. I couldn't tell if he was actually making small talk with me or if he was trying to get me to trust him, but I leaned as far away as I could without looking awkward. I worried insulting him could get me into trouble. I answered the rest of his questions as vaguely as possible, but thankfully, he mostly talked about his wife and kids. He told me to pull onto a side road with mailboxes at the end, and I drove past a few pre-made homes, like the ones that come built and set down by a truck. He told me to keep going down this road. I was worried we were going to drive until there were no homes left. Pretty close. His house was actually the last one on the right, and there was a little boy jumping on a trampoline outside when we drove up. He jumped down and ran over as the man got out of the car. I heard the boy ask, where have you been? He said, long story, is your mom home? His son replied, yeah, she's inside, and ran back to the trampoline. The man turned back to me and said, thanks, could I get your number? Want to be friends? I laughed uncomfortably and said, no, I'm good. Thanks. Glad I could help. He stepped back and I drove down, turned around and left that road as fast as I could. A little too fast, I might add, because I got yelled at by a neighbor near the entrance. Whoops. As I drove to the lakefront, yes, I still went, what is wrong with me? I thought about everything that could go wrong. I called my husband, who was rightfully pissed at me for doing something so dumb that could have gone so bad. He also told his mother and his grandmother. So needless to say, I was in trouble with my in-laws. They were all glad I was safe. I have never done this again, and hopefully will never do it again. I was glad I could help this man that probably would never have gotten help. But I know that if that man were a different person, I could have been dead in a ditch at the side of the road and no one would be the wiser until I was boar food. Yes, we still have wild board. It's wild down here. For a while after, I worried he'd knock on my door since my car is pretty distinct. And like I said, I didn't live far from him, but he never did. And I now have a different, more inconspicuous car. I missed you when you came to Florida. So you'll have to come back soon so I can catch a live show. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for reading my story. I have a few more stories that I'll send in. Hope you enjoy the pictures. P.S. I've never told my mom about this. I'm worried it'll give her a heart attack. And the longer it takes for me to tell her, the more likely it can happen. 
So it seems this is going to be our little secret. Love, M. Oh, M. First of all, I had a WWJD yeah. bracelet, like the little embroidered kind. I had one my freshman year at Tech. Why? I'm had an to. atheist. Because why? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because everybody else had one and I thought it was cool. It was so trendy, mm-hmm. uh, very trendy at the time. But man, I feel you on that. Like, well, I let him, I already looked for his car. It's mm-hmm. a give a mouse a cookie situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm such a sucker for all that kind of stuff that it's, you're right. It's, you're lucked out that this was like actually what he said he was, that he really was a dumbass dad yeah. who got wasted and lost his car. I was. This is the one that I set up top. I was just like, what? No. What? 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 <laughs> no. Again? No. Every but Em is very aware that what they oh, did certainly. was not certainly. what, it, you know, not the smartest move. But Absolutely. yeah, I, I, this is when I'm glad I'm not a people pleaser. Cause I would have just right. said, sorry about your luck, bud. And kept on driving. In this case, it was very nice that he was helped. Most cases it's, that's not going to be how this story ends. Right. And well, the other side of me is like, do I need to help you? Because you should suffer the consequences of your actions <laughs> that you left your family and got wasted and made bad choices. I Why had one I drive around and fell asleep during the no, day, sir. I think there's more to this story. Certainly you didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those, if it was your family member, you'd want someone to help. So I hear you, but 20 something year old me, hundred percent would do that. Me nowadays. No, I would not. No, no. I maybe would drive around and look and maybe come back and be like, I didn't see it. And if he was like, can I drive around? I'd be like, I have to go. I'm sorry. I can't. And yeah. I, by that, I mean, I just physically can't bring myself to do it. I don't have an engagement <laughs> or anything. No. Yeah. I don't think I, I, I am not one usually to roll down the window when a strange man is asking me to. So I Most probably women, yeah. wouldn't have got past that point. But I'm also always of the thought that somebody has a phone you can borrow somewhere. I mean, this is a stop sign. We're by the lake. There's probably yeah. a business you could walk to help you out so i don't feel like i'm abandoning someone you know truly in, in a, a dire situation necessarily yeah it's not a stretch of road of 90 miles and you haven't seen another mm-hmm. uh you know stop place to stop a gas station or whatever uh no you're right and also yeah something like this again it's not like oh my gosh you know i'm a paramedic and the crew left me and i gotta get back to work it's like <laughs> You just don't, you could call your wife is what you're telling me. You could call your wife for help, but you don't want to get in trouble. Well, his so now phone's this burden, in the car that he locked his keys in He's there, got his house memorized. Like you said, walk yeah. your ass to a bank or a police station or a grocery store and use somebody's phone. Yeah. But he just didn't want to get in trouble with his wife. That's what it sounded like. Or he was still kind of foggy, drunk, you know, in yeah. that hungover mindset oh, where man. you're not thinking straight. I, uh, I, I've just heard... I'm so glad this story turned out to be true, but this is like the stereotypical story that people give you when they just want to get in your car. So my red flags would have immediately been like, no, we're not playing that game. Yeah. Aside from asking for a puppy, he kind of hit all of them, but I hear you (laughs) as a fellow people pleaser, I would absolutely have found myself in this predicament, certainly. And have a story. I'm sure there are, in fact, I will meditate on it. I'll journal about it. I guarantee you I have a story of me. Uh, going above and beyond for someone who just was absolutely like, why? Why did he, I didn't know him? I didn't need to. But I was like, well, I can't back out now. It's true that you're so dug in. And it's what's the point, too, that uh, it makes that I think is an important one is that feeling of 
I know I shouldn't be doing this anymore, but I'm so dug in now that I have to keep going. And to that, I would like to say to everyone, you do not have to keep going. Shut it down. As soon as you're like, this was stupid, I shouldn't have done that. You're obligated to nobody but yourself to get out of that situation. So even if it's weird and you're like, you know what? I'm so sorry. I just realized I got to be somewhere. Pull over. Sorry, bud. You're going to have to get out. What's what's the worst? Well, the worst that could happen. We know what the worst can happen. But the best situation is you feel a little bit awkward. It might be weird, but then you go about your day and you don't have to worry about that again. Right, and you're not meeting some new strange family that you don't know somewhere <laughs> yeah, or down worse. a long and a long and possibly a dead end street. But if any of you listening are like, I could never, I don't, well, I felt that same way too. Let me tell you about something called Christy Wallace is your best friend. <laughs> Your mileage may vary, but when Christy Wallace is your best friend, you get Christy Wallace's voice in your head. And when Christy <laughs> Wallace's voice is in your head and you find yourself in a horrible situation like myself and is like, I could never say something. It's like WWCWD. <laughs> and Can we get those bracelets back? Please? Yep. What is w- the situation that you're talking about? What would Christy Wallace do uh, when we're in a, a, a weird situation uh, with a third party, uh, whether it's a... a professional tickler massage therapist yada yada okay all right okay and if i feel like if otherwise i might say you know oh i feel uncomfortable or i can't complain or oh my gosh it's can't not that you're ever i never ever ever have witnessed you in fact you're much more polite than i am and i like to think i'm pretty (laughs) polite but i'm a little bit brash at times i'll speak a little bit bluntly at times but um but i will say i always appreciate how much you are willing to assert your principles in a reasonable polite and rational way and just say like you said i'm going to go now this has been enough for me and not apologize for it whereas i feel like if i'm like i am so sorry i really just if i could possible and to be able to take that for myself that's been such a gift you've given me through your Aww, friendship thank to, you. for me to say like and, it, and again, when we have that as a people pleaser, it's like, well, it's not okay for me. Well, I can at least say if I don't feel like I should say it in my head, I'm like, well, I'll just say what Christy would say, which would be, <laughs> right? Um, I just have, be a I have character. To be. be a character. Yeah, exactly. I just embodied WWCWD. <laughs> I'm in it. But I hear you, M, because I absolutely feel you. But if any of you listening need that, just ask yourself and say, I'm allowed to assert myself in a polite and kind way and just say, I'm so sorry. I, I have to go. It's nice knowing you. I hope you find what you need. But I can't spend any more time on this. I'm and done. that's fine. And yeah. I found myself doing that. And it's all because of you, so. you. Well, I appreciate that very much. And I follow a lot of accounts that echo those same sentiments that, especially for women, we have been taught our whole lives, you know, to uh, be agreeable and be polite and uh, don't argue. Yeah, don't argue, help people out. And unfortunately, that same kindness is what gets so many women into unfortunate situation. So you owe nobody, you don't owe anybody shit. If you want to, if even if you got all the way to that driveway and you're like, I'm not driving down this fucking dirt road with all these Mm -mm. mailboxes. This seems like killing grounds. You're like, Nope. Bye. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, you don't have to wait for it to end because the end might not be the end you're hoping for. Right. It's always social pressures or it is, um, yeah. the patriarchy or whatever of like, well, you said you'd help me. And it's like, well, I don't have to continue to do anything I don't want to do. It's called autonomy. Right. <laughs> you told your wife you'd be home after one beer and now you're asking a stranger to drive your ass home the next day. So are we really going to get into a pissing contest yeah. here over who said what? 
<laughs> one of us is not in a position to give advice. So no, <laughs> get out of my car. Thanks. I also but, love uh, how the sun was just like, all right, well, she's inside. You know she was inside like you, son of a bitch. Yeah, who is that no, Junior? Who dropped you off this time? <laughs> yeah, Junior, who was it? Who'd you see in the, who was driving that car when your daddy got out? Mm-hmm. Who was it? Oh, gosh. my gosh. But I do imagine there was a sense of relief when you yeah. pull up and there is a kid on the trampoline because now you're like, well, at least there's a, a kid around. Somebody's around now to at least, you know, witness something if something happens. Right, exactly. That you're like, it's a witness and it's not like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre right? family. That's just a normal family. How nice. No, but all that to say, let's not let people in our cars, even if they mm. look like the nicest person in the world, you could always call somebody for them. I think, call how much could I really help this person? Not as much as the police. So you call the police for them. Right. I was going to say, if you, in, in going forward, if you ever, anybody on the side of the road's like, oh, I really need help. In Texas, it's 999, I think. There's like a certain, it's on the back of your driver's license, but it's basically like roadside assistance oh, and they I can come and that. help you out or whatever. Yeah. Especially if you're blocking the roadway. I don't know if that would help this guy. Triple A too. Like it's a triple problem. A will yeah, come man, help you if you've got that. I ain't triple A. You, you don't pay $50 a year to me to have membership for me to drive your ass around to your house <laughs> and get you gas. Why don't you call triple A? It ain't yeah, me. No. <laughs> the wrong bitch. <laughs> no, yeah. It's so insane to me, though, that this, uh, everything he said, as far as we know, really did happen. Yeah, I'm ridiculous. so glad that this because I was real worried up until the trampoline. I was like, this is not going to end well. So I'm very right? glad that it did. Absolutely. Well, thank you, M, for real. I, I relate so much to this. <laughs> Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Well, this next one is from Cass, and the subject line is, I was kidnapped by my mom, and she got away with it. Hi, ladies. I'm just going to dive right into this story. I was born in New Zealand in a small town to my mom, my dad, and my older half-sister from my mom's previous marriage. I was raised in Washington State here in the U.S. with my mom, my stepdad, my older sister, and my younger siblings that were all born here in the States. I grew up knowing I was from New Zealand and occasionally hearing from family members from my mom's side. But even that was minimal since pre-Skype international calls were expensive. I was only three when my mom married my stepdad and we moved to the States, so I don't have many memories from New Zealand. Anyway, I knew I had a different legal last name than my younger siblings, but we never used my legal last name. My mom insisted that my big sis and I use my stepdad's last name. I had forgotten that my dad was actually my stepdad, as he had been called dad since I was three. My only source of information about my biological father was from my mom, and she wouldn't even speak his name. She said he was a bad guy, and she was not going to talk about it. I was sure he was a murderer or something, but part of me latched onto the idea that somehow Tom Selleck might be my real dad. Spoiler, he isn't. My older sister did have contact with her dad, though it was almost always with my mother around, other than two or three times she was allowed to go back and visit during Christmas or summer break. We were raised being told that my older sister's dad was physically abusive, and that my mom essentially had to escape his drunken rage on multiple occasions. I grew up knowing my mom was a hero. She was a survivor. She was a brave woman who packed up two small kids and moved across the world for a fresh start an adventure, and for better opportunities for her kids. That's what I was told. That is what I believed. 
My mom is a wonderful storyteller, and she loved being the star at any dinner party. She would tell stories over and over, and my big sis and I noticed that sometimes the details would change. Not just little details, big ones. If we brought it up or questioned our mother, all hell would break loose. She would flip shit like a big, angry toddler. She would pit me and my older sister against our stepdad. Just one example is the time she told him to discipline us for not having a clean room and told him it needed to be a huge deal. Then, when he brought the hammer down and told us we needed to clean if we ever wanted to do anything fun, she comforted us, saying how unfair he was being. There were tiny breadcrumbs leading us to the truth, but it wasn't until my dad, my biological dad, finally found me. My dad spent over a decade looking for me. He hired private investigators, begged my mom's family, and eventually found me through a blog that my mother wrote when she adopted my younger brother. He wrote me a letter when I was 16, and luckily, I was the one to check the mail that day. I know if my mother had been the one to see it, I never would have gotten my hands on it. He told me his email address, and I reached out to him. I remember my heart pounding when he responded. I was so nervous. What was he like? Was he a bad guy? Was he going to trick me into thinking he's nice? I decided to try and figure it out. He was lovely. I'm not naive enough to think a person can't pretend to be lovely, but when I say this man would never say anything negative about my mom, I mean, he praised her for doing such a good job at raising me because he thinks I'm just so wonderful. He came to the States for my high school graduation, and my mom changed her story. She started saying he was never abusive and that I was confused. He was always a nice guy. He just had some gambling issues. Fast forward, my sister and I take individual trips to New Zealand as adults to go see family. I finally break down and ask my dad basically, what the fuck? Why weren't you involved in my entire life? And he told me his side of the story. His side just so happens to match exactly what my older sister's dad said and what our maternal grandma now admits. When I was really little, my parents had split up, not divorced, my mother was technically a bigamist according to New Zealand law, but that's a story for another day. But my mom got a desktop computer. It was the 90s, and she was talking to people in chat rooms. She met a guy in a chat room and started a secret relationship with him. She then decided to find a way to move herself and her kids to America so that she could be with them. She knew that neither of our dads would ever agree to let us move across the world, so my mother decided to convince them to let us make a much smaller move. She asked them if she could move us to Australia, where she had family. She said neither of them would have to pay child support and that the two-hour flight would be easy to do every other month or so. She had a social worker explain why it was necessary for them to relinquish parental rights so that she could make medical decisions for us in the event of an emergency. Little did they know, she had already gotten engaged to my American stepdad and was planning her big move to the States. My stepdad thought he was saving this beautiful woman and her two daughters from an abusive life. When we moved to the States, my mom started having kids with my stepdad. At one point, she demanded she be able to take us kids back to New Zealand, all of the kids, including my stepdad's, but he was not going to fall into that trap. He had helped her set the trap last time, and he was not letting his kids go anywhere. So my mother was stuck in America. My sister and I no longer talked to our mother. I know people like to overuse the term narcissist, but you guys, my mother is a textbook narcissist. She believes her lies until they don't suit her anymore, and then they change. My dad was never abusive. 
My sister's dad was never physically abusive. They both went on to have extremely happy, peaceful marriages after my mother. My stepdad is also remarried to a wonderful woman who my two daughters call grandma and is the biggest blessing in all of our lives. So yeah, that's the story of how my mom kidnapped me and my sister and got away with it and never broke the law, except for the bigamy thing. My sister and I were raised in the States and still live here. We grew roots here. We have spouses and we'll stay here. My mother's choices are the reason that my dad only gets to hold his granddaughters once every few years because the trip is so hard to make. But it does feel good to know that my dad still sees my kids way more than my mom does. If you read this, I hope it wasn't too boring. Your podcast keeps me sane. Love, Cass, a person who also has the face of a narc. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it wasn't boring, Cass. In fact... Oh my gosh, not at all. I... This is the makings of a Lifetime movie. Right. It's unbelievable to think that the depths of conniving that someone Mm -hmm. is willing to do and for such a selfish reason. And I think Cass is not wrong saying sounds like something a narcissist would do to say like, well, this is what's important to me. So fuck it. Husband and, uh, you know, father of older sister, father of Cass, like this is what I want. I'll lie as much as I have to do to get it. Yeah. It's the lying and the flaunting of the lies. Like she said, she's a storyteller. So narcissist and um, pathological liar. Yeah, I think that you start to believe your own web of lies. I imagine it's exhausting to keep up with. I mean, like she said, details change here and there because it's made up. So it's hard to remember all the stuff you've made up to people. But that's tragic and awful that not only were the children brought up without their dad, but also being told lie like horrible lies about mm-hmm. their dads that just weren't true and then both of those fathers don't get to see their their kids grow up i'm very well, glad the- that they were able to connect later in in life and not too much later too still like 16 well, yeah, exactly. You don't lose the whole entire childhood, although that is such a huge chunk to lose. Mm-hmm. And especially to hear that both dads were like, well, OK, two hours. I can make the trip yeah. if you if it's really necessary. And the fact that she got a social worker to convince them, because I imagine as a kid, you have this feeling of like, oh, my God, why didn't my dad want me? Yeah. And it must be such a, a relief, but also a mutually shared heartbreak to know he desperately wanted you mm-hmm. and he never stopped looking for you. Yeah. And not only my dad didn't want me. My dad was a monster. My mom is a hero. She's a survivor. That takes so much away from people that have actually gone through a situation like this where they Mm -hmm. had to flee another country, you know, and and lie about it to actually keep them and their children safe. So, yeah, I'm sorry you don't have a relationship with your mom, but also that's probably the best thing. I mean, I don't know how you would continue. Once that comes to light, I don't know how you repair that. Uh, if if you're trying to, I imagine it's years and years, a lifetime of therapy. When I imagine if it's with a mom that's like, oh my gosh, you're right. The jig is up. I'm so sorry. Here's all the reasons why I did it. I know you can't forget. But to be like, well, I did what I had to do. So, I mean, it's just yeah. like, you got to take accountability at least and try to repair it. But if there's none of that, it's just hard. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's like you said, better to just protect your peace and say, I will have the relationships I can have and that are beneficial to me and mm-hmm. my kids. Well, thank you, Cass. This next one's from Tasha, and the subject line is, A Tinder from Hell. Hi, y'all. My name is Tasha, and I'm from Maryland. 
Just wanted to start by thanking you for giving me hours on end of hilarious, sometimes sad, and very creepy listener content. Judge Christie is by far my favorite segment. I struggle with bipolar, and your podcast has saved me time and time again when things start to get a little crazy in my head. I'm writing this the day before I see you in D.C., and I'm beyond excited, so let's get into it. During my grad school year, I was 22, and I used Tinder quite a bit to meet men and go on dates, as I was pretty isolated and busy with my studies. This one boy I matched with, Addison, and please use this asshole's name because fuck him, I thought was pretty cool, and I was excited to meet him. However, I should have seen the signs. On our first date, he literally took me to a trap house with him and his friends where we drank and smoked weed all night. But I gave him another chance. The next red flag was after dating for maybe two weeks. He invites me to his family's Christmas dinner. And honestly, this is the only funny part of the story. I idiotically went, only to find like 30 family members at a table eating while he had me sit in a side chair drinking a beer. It was so awkward. Besides constantly showing me the $100 bills he had, this was my last straw. So one night, I was at his family's house in his basement bedroom and politely told him I no longer wanted to see him. And then, in the blink of an eye, he snapped. He started screaming at me that I was a bitch, a whore, a cunt, any horrible name in the book. As I try to leave, he proceeds to follow me up the stairs, still yelling in my ear. As I try to go out the front door, he says, no, you have to go through the garage. So I went to the garage, but it was closed. He was standing by the opener, just laughing, saying, you're not getting out. At this point, I just froze, sat on the floor, and started crying. He proceeded to call me names and spit on me, all while filming me on his phone. Then, something within me had the strength to get up, hit him in the head with my beer bottle, open the garage, and run as fast as I could to my car. He chased after me, but luckily, I locked my car quickly because he kept trying to open the door. I sped away, called the cops, and was hoping this nightmare was over, but not quite yet. He proceeded to call me about 100 times a day for the next week and even had his friends start calling me. His friend told me he had bipolar and that's why this had happened. But having it myself, I knew that was bullshit. He was just a psycho asshole. After about two weeks of this, he eventually gave up. But this brush with true crime still haunts me to this day and I have not been on Tinder since. I'm now 26 and engaged to my best friend in the whole world. And just a PSA for those using dating apps. If you ever get those feelings of things being off, just end that shit over the phone. Thank you, ladies, for giving me a platform to share my piece. And as always, keep it creepy. Best wishes, Tasha. You got me fucked up if you're going to invite me to your family's Christmas dinner and then I have to sit there on the side drinking a beer while everybody feasts. What the fuck (laughs) is this guy's... Deal. Uh, Good on you, Tasha, for listening to whatever that, like, you know, there's WWCWD. (laughs) I mean, yeah. But of just being like, I mean, that fight or flight where you're like, you're fight or flight or freeze or appease and you're in the freeze mode and then Mm -hmm. something in your body went fight and flight at the same time. Bam, run. You know, you're like, you're going to make me sit here by myself and drink a beer. Gotcha, bitch. I'm going to smash you over the head with this. That's such a grossly controlling manipulative abusive thing to keep somebody trapped in the house while you scream at them all the words in the book spit and then film it 
Yeah. This is a horror film. Yeah. No. God damn. Absolutely a brush with true crime. And I know we have uh, a good amount of male listeners and dudes, this is what we got to go through. I know that if you're listening to this show, you're a good guy because you know what I mean? We talk enough shit about uh, people like this, but like Paris or anybody or like Andrew Tate, good Andrew Tate, Andy Tate of Let's Not Meet (laughs) talked about, you know, people will listen to his show and are like, oh my God, is this real? And like, oh my God, yeah, it's fucking real. And I am so sorry, Tasha, you had to go through that. And you're so right. And when I was, I mean, I met Paris on Bumble and in my online dating days, any I just honestly I was so busy so it worked out that I had I was working at the big law firm like 16 hours a day doing a bunch of improv shows and doing the podcast so I had such little time for anything that I would just be like oh no unmatched block like I just wouldn't I didn't have enough time to like engage with anything because I had like Mm -hmm. 20 or not even 20 minutes a day like five minutes I could spend on this app I had to be like yes yes no yes no that's how you weed them out you know what you're looking for and if you don't see it gone get out but right it's like one bad date i was just like hey uh this isn't gonna work out it was nice don't you i'm like i don't have time to go on a second bad date this you had one shot right it's not gonna go well he's not sponge worthy so, <laughs> right he's not i knew he wasn't sponge worthy but true but i do see that like being in that situation where you're in your early 20s because i was in my 30s when i was online mm-hmm. dating i didn't have tinder and all that when i was in my 20s so i can only imagine that feeling of like getting in this situation and you're like sunk cost again of like, yeah. oh, well, it's just, it was one bad date. I'll try it again. Cause you're just 22 and you're optimistic and you still have rose colored glasses yeah. on and you're not like this guy's probably a big fucking loser. No. Spoiler alert. Won't. They always are. He, he is. And this guy absolutely was Addison. Fuck off. Yeah. Fuck off to the moon. <laughs> yeah. No, we've just all kidding. You're not allowed. You're not don't allowed. Go on, to the don't moon. go to the moon. We're not, you're not going to the moon. Fuck, fuck off, off past the moon to a black hole into the black hole and yeah and start over yeah and we've all been there we've all dated people that were like this is this is what am i doing this is going nowhere i can't oh more than i can count oh my gosh tommy is reading a book right now called the will to change men masculinity and love by bell hooks and i know that because i just texted him while you were talking i was like what's the name of that book because it reminded me how you said this is what women go through last night he was mm-hmm. reading it and i'm just on my phone on tiktok and he leans over and he just goes i love you and he just put his hand on me i go what happened did you read something sad because <laughs> <laughs> he he's he's been quoting this book quite a bit which is oh yeah he recommends to everybody it's been he said it's one of his top three favorite books he's ever read and one of the most life-changing books but he was like women just go through so much like there's just so much that y'all have to deal with and i was like yeah i go well i'm watching a tiktok from a guy called dorito moratorio so which i think that was his name and then tommy was like wait what's his name i follow him and i was like yeah he's really funny (laughs) now i feel like i gotta shout out his correct name because his uh he is he's funny but he's also there it is moshino dorito go follow moshino dorito so he's uh he's got a lot of funny stuff but also he's very woke and a very progressive uh white man that's trying to change some stuff like you're saying the guys listen to the show i bet moshino dorito would listen if he doesn't already if you do (laughs) hi we are fans love you yeah y'all are the guys that as much as it sucks that a man sometimes has to step in to stop another man from doing something stupid, 
that's kind of the world we live in. So please say something, say something. But also beyond that, start from the beginning. Like Tommy was like, raise your kids. You need to read this book because it's going to impact the way we raise Simon. Like, and I'm like, that's really thoughtful. Like, because it Mm -hmm. does start from when you're a kid for everybody that, you know, things are ingrained into us and we grow up thinking like, this is how it is, but it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, it shouldn't be that way. And the Mm -hmm. cycle has to stop somewhere. So let it be with us. Right. Let it be with you. And and we see in this story that Tasha said he called her, Addison called her a hundred times a day and quote, even had his friends start calling me. Yeah. So raising sons like that saying, hey, this is what consent looks like. This is what respectful behavior looks like. And when you see that in a friend, it's your job as a friend to say, hey, this is not respectful behavior. You can't call a girl a hundred times. And if that person's like, fuck you, man, you're like, we're not friends anymore. I'm not going to help you harass a woman. I'm not going to help you stalk someone. This isn't a group stalking event. So I think that's really important. And I think shout out to Tommy for not only reading that book, but for being so willing to share like stuff. Because he sent screenshots to the chat and stuff. So Yeah, I told you the other night, I go, Tommy's more woke than I am, I think. (laughs) Like, this book is like, I mean, we're all, we all are doing what we can. He, uh, but yeah, if you, what was it again, The Will to Change Men, Masculinity, and Love by Bell Hooks. So check that out. Well, Addison, if you're listening, go read that book. Yeah, Addison. (laughs) Learn a thing, but thank you, Tasha. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. This final one is from Caitlin, and the subject line is, It Came in the Night. Hi, ladies. I decided to finally write this after seeing you live in D.C. last night. I had such an amazing time. I dragged my friends with me from North Carolina, and we had a fabulous girls weekend. I introduced you to them on the drive up with the episode about the Denver airport and the veiny horse taint. Side note, I had tickets to see you ladies in Raleigh, VIP tickets for your June 2022 show, but I put them on the wrong day on my family's very crazy calendar and we missed it. I legit cried big old alligator tears. For my birthday in August that year, I think my husband bought me everything that was available in the merch store because he felt so bad. My story takes place when I was in middle or high school. My exact age eludes me now, but it would have been between 1998 and 2002. I've always been a staunch believer in aliens and the paranormal, spirits and reincarnation. But this night, 21 some years ago, was all the proof I needed to keep believing. I grew up in Gilbert, Arizona. My parents bought a new build home in the East Valley when I was only five. I don't remember any of this, just stories I would hear my parents tell later. When we first moved in, it was one of those neighborhoods that seemingly been plopped down in the middle of nowhere. We were literally surrounded by dairy farms and the rolling stench of cow shit that would roll over the area like a hazy green fog in the evenings. No joke, you could see it hanging in the air. Soon, though, the dairy farms began to sell off and more homes and schools started popping up. As the area grew bigger, the darkness of the night started to remain brighter and brighter. As I got older, I felt this longing for the dark, hot air of the summer. I would lay on the concrete driveway in the evenings and just stare up at the sky, watching. After being in the sun all day, the concrete would stay warm in the dark. It was my escape in the evenings. Occasionally, neighborhood kids would join me, looking at the stars and watching. They always tired of it sooner than I did. In fact, I only came inside whenever I was forced to. 
My freaky story begins on a night I asked my parents if I could sleep in the backyard. I wanted the warmth of the summer air and for my evening to go on forever. They were shocked. We weren't campers, and sleeping outside was not something that we did. We lived in the middle of a very large neighborhood now, houses all around us, and my parents' bedroom window faced the backyard. They must have felt comfortable enough with the situation because they immediately gave me their permission. I set to work making my bed outside, taking blankets I didn't care about and laying them out first so I could put my own indoor bedding down and be just as cozy as in the house. Everyone in the house went to bed, and I tucked myself in for the night. Now, as I said, this is 21 years or more ago, so I didn't have a phone to scroll through or didn't bring a book outside with me, but I was wide awake, and I stared at the sky. I stared and I stared for what felt like hours. There's a lot to see out there when nothing is distracting you. I must have drifted off to sleep because at some point I woke up because I had that feeling of being watched. And this was long before my true crime obsession, so I wasn't scared, just curious, assuming mom or dad was outside checking on me. When I opened my eyes, I did not see either of my parents, just the glow of the streetlight above my face. Wait, what? There's no streetlight in my childhood backyard? I blinked hard and focused. It was at this moment I felt a laugh or joy, but it wasn't coming from me. I don't really know how to explain it, but it felt like someone or something was giggling at me. Like when I tried to focus my eyes, I looked funny. It's not like the randomly placed glow of the newly constructed streetlight in my yard was actually laughing, but it exuded joy and youth. Like this light had a child's personality. I wasn't frightened at all. I felt relaxed. As I laid there and focused on this light, it began to look more like a small ball of light, an orb maybe. It seemed to maintain a distance of about five feet from my face as I laid there and watched it, moving around me, seemingly observing. Still, I wasn't scared. I was mesmerized. I don't remember moving, blinking, or even breathing. I didn't follow it with my eyes, lift my hands, turn my head, reach out, nothing. Looking back, I don't know if it's because I couldn't move or if I just didn't want to, but I felt an overwhelming sense of relaxation. I must have fallen asleep. I woke up in my bed the next morning with my favorite pillow and bedding on my bed in my bedroom on the second floor. I came downstairs that morning forgetting that I was even outside the night before. Maybe I had dreamed that whole sweet encounter. As I walked into the kitchen, mom said to me, you made it longer out there than I thought you would. Dad and I heard you coming back in the house at five this morning. Confused, I just looked at her for a minute. As I glanced over her shoulder into the yard, I saw the pallet of blankets I had laid out still neatly stacked in a mattress-like form. I guess I didn't dream it, I thought. Was it the mosquitoes that drove you in the house? Ugh, I should have sprayed you down before you went out there, she apologized. She could tell I didn't know what the hell she was talking about, but handed me a bottle of some weird pink lotion she always said would help the itch, but I couldn't stand the smell. As she did this, I looked down at my arms, and sure enough, I had a weird pattern of mosquito bites on my arm. But they didn't itch. I couldn't even feel them. This was shocking to me because I'm allergic to mosquitoes, and those bastards love me. How did I not feel being bit? I wasn't scratching myself bloody. Are these even mosquito bites? It was weird. For the several years following that incident, I lived in that house. 
I would see the same light from time to time, but only ever out the window in my shower. If I would shower late at night after everyone else was asleep or quietly tucked away, it would be there, just hanging out with me outside the window. And every time it would show up, I would feel at ease, relaxed. Note, this window was on the second floor and there was nothing but a straight drop to the ground, so there was no way for someone to get up into that window. This went on for years. There must have been a time when I told my family because still, to this day, they make fun of me and my bathroom window alien. They're just jealous it never revealed itself to them. But as an adult, I wonder what that was. I've always felt it was an alien. What do you think? Where did the time go? Did I just fall asleep soundly and not remember coming into the house in the morning? I laid down outside at probably 9.30 at night. My mom heard me come back in the house at 5 a.m. My interaction with the orb couldn't have started much more than an hour after I laid down out there. Why didn't I feel myself getting eaten alive by those damn bugs? Why don't I remember coming inside the house? Did I sleep out there a while? Was I imagining it all? And if so, what was visiting me through the shower window? And more importantly, where has it been? I often find myself watching my kids play, throwing the ball for the dog or floating around the pool by myself, staring at the sky, wondering when I'll see it again. There's a longing that I can't put into words. I have no joke been jealous of others when I hear stories of encounters. So what do you think? Well, I think that in any type of these encounters or incidents or whatever, if you're emotionally moved or, you know, like internally, you're like, I feel like something's happened. Like even as an adult now, you can look at the sky and think something happened and it still, you know, sticks with you. I think that, you know, it's not that it's just in your head. It seems like there's more to it than that. And I've, of course, believe that uh, there's other life out there all around us. So I love that this was a joyful and calming, you know, visit like a, like a kid playing with you. I too would miss it and be like, please come back. Yeah. Right. It's like ET. It's my alien friend. Mm -hmm. And especially if it had a happy, giggling, playful, laughing kind of a feeling, I'm sure every time. And then every time it visited you, you were like stoked to see it. It probably does engender a sense of nostalgia, longing, missing. And if it was, uh, maybe it was a little, uh, extraterrestrial probe that was supposed to do work, you know, like a junior member that was like <laughs> a kid just wanted to be a kid and play too. It was like, oh, I'll play. You're out having a camp out. I'll have a camp I'll out too. It. And then they check <laughs> also- in on you. Now you don't got to do it while I'm in the shower. You, we could <laughs> meet up under, you know, out in the backyard again. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I'll meet you under the streetlight. But I love that, that it was, like you said, a happy experience and a, uh, you know, I, except for the mosquito bites. That sucks. But at least it didn't yeah. hurt. But I, it sounded like Caitlin was implying perhaps they weren't in mosquito bites. Maybe. If they Maybe didn't it was, itch or, yeah. They marked you so they could come and find you later. Just kidding. It's probably mosquito <laughs> I, bite. <laughs> I also wonder if the reason that you she doesn't see it anymore is because you're no longer a kid. Ooh, maybe. God, what if your kid comes in and is like, Mom, 
the streetlight and I were giggling together. You have to be like, You're like oh, get out of the way. Like, I've been <laughs> waiting for 20 years to reunite with them. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. It's like Peter Pan. Like, no, wait, I want to hang out. You're right. a grown up now, so it's not really for you. It's like, Aah. yeah, damn it. I get it, though. I'm jealous of people that have encounters as well. Je- I mean, no, I'm not always jealous. There's right. stories where I'm, I'm very grateful that wasn't me. But I would love to have a positive experience like that let me know something else is out there for sure especially one that's uh not harmful really not Mm -hmm. anything like oh my gosh it wiped my memory well i would welcome anybody who's listening if this sounds like some phenomenon you've ever heard of of an uh, an orb and a mem- a time loss, a glitch, something like that. Please let us write mm-hmm. into us, put it on the Instagram, Facebook, you know, on the comments for this episode's post so that we can get some thoughts because I love that's how, you know, with our audience, there's maybe somebody that's had something similar happen that you've, if you went camping with an orb, write <laughs> us in. We did have a story of, I believe they were a child that f- woke up and they found themselves outside in the street. Remember mm-hmm, that one? And they right. yeah, went yeah. back and walked upstairs to their grandparents and they were sleeping and then ended up couldn't get into their house because it was locked and their parents were afraid and they didn't know how mm-hmm. they got outside. So, yeah, yeah, we've had a couple of stories where kids had things like that happen that they think yeah. is alien related. Could be making contact with the ETs. Well, uh, if Ella, I'll let Ella and Simon know if any, if y'all start seeing some orbs. Just let me know. This is kind of my specialty. They're like, Mom, will you make arts and crafts? I'm like, never. But do you want to know how to talk to an alien? I'm your man. Got you, boo. Whoa, man. And I will do arts and crafts. I just currently have PTSD from trying to make bracelets for the Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, Yeah, that was a rough one. I I got a there's a moratorium on arts and crafts in this house. <laughs> Just devastation on all those beads all over that oh hotel room. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah. Well, I uh, I welcome anybody's explanation for this because it's. Uh, I hope it's happening. I hope if the aliens are coming to visit, they're giving people well, happy, uh, uplifting, supportive, encouraging. Got news <laughs> feelings. For they're already here. Apparently, they've been here. <laughs> They have, or if you listen to next week's episode, have they been? Oh, sneak preview. Well, thank you, Caitlin, and to everybody else for sending in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content, like our upcoming mini-sode on the tragedy associated with an old viral sensation. You can head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. You can also review the show while you're there, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You can also follow us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. And for a custom video shout out, head to cameo.com and search Sinisterhood. And you can book us to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, you got this, whatever message you want to send to the Sinisterhood fan in your life. We would love to deliver it. So head to cameo.com and search Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the internet? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.